Hello, Doclos, and welcome to a surprise full episode drop. Remember, I didn't say every Friday will be a Shorties episode, but Shorties will resume next Friday. This can be a Valentine's Day special, I guess. Kind of just worked out that way. You know, I should introduce myself. My name is Bob Sham, and I'm on all of these episodes. The podcast you are listening to is The Documenteers, the greatest documentary-themed podcast in the universe. Each week, myself and a well-meaning enthusiast come together to discuss a documentary or a short documentary, or in this case, a docu-series, and rate it with our vigorous German rating system. Our second-ever documentary series on this show, our first since Evil Genius. It really helps if the series is less than six episodes. It really just seems daunting beyond that. I know the staircase exists, but come on, man. Didn't they just add like 10 more episodes to that shit? I got too many cool looking docs to watch before I ever grind through that shit. This documentary series we're going to shoot the shit about has been buzzing amongst the true crime gobblers. There are many of you out there. The director for this series, Joe Berlinger, actually has a make up film of the exact same subject as his docu-series. He really got his timing down. Angela and myself watched Joe Berlinger's Netflix documentary series, Conversations with a Killer, The Ted Bundy Tapes. Longtime listeners know that on this show, due to the co-hosts and the wide variety of topics in these documentaries, that this show could often be different from episode to episode in terms of brevity or crudity. This episode, we discussed the crimes of serial killer Ted Bundy. And as you can imagine, it's about his mature audience slash parental advisory slash NSFW as you can get. That means not safe for work. Sometimes I foolishly presume people are as on the up on things as I am. One thing I foolishly didn't expect when starting this podcast was the fact that I was going to be many people's introduction to podcasting. So if you're in this for the 30 for 30s or whatever the hell the Stewart episodes are, then the subject matter in this episode might be a curveball if you're not used to it. Look, I'm babbling. We're all adults here. All I'm saying is that I think it's normal and understandable that people want to bounce around when listening to the show. It's promoted. However way you want to take this in is a-okay with me. Just keep in mind that I say the word corpse fucker at least half a dozen times in this episode. Speaking of corpse fuckers, let's drop some pre-show credits for some of the sweet, sweet sounds you'll hear on this episode. Not a ton of series clips throughout the episode, but Angela and I recorded after each episode as we were watching it. We got some music transitions after each episode discussion. Looking up some songs about serial killers pulls up a lot of metal. There are some Ted Bundy-specific songs out there. In chronological order, we hear the Jane's Addiction song, and probably the biggest song that is directly about Ted Bundy, called Ted Just Admit It. Off of nothing shocking. Jane's Addiction, another one of those bands I loved as a teenager and find myself not drawn to at all as an adult. Oh, look at them like they're just a bunch of California cum hairs wiggling around this way and that. By the way, cum hair is our term for white people with dreads. Cum hair. Remember that for the Documenteers vocabulary test at the end of the year. Second transition, we hear the song Urge to Kill by the noisy Swedish band Brain Bombs. And if I'm the first person to introduce you to the Brain Bombs, but I just want to say that I am very sorry. Thirdly, we hear Slayer's Necrophiliac from the classic album Hello Waits. Kind of a home run there, seeing as Bundy was literally a necrophile. In case you forget, I'll remind you several times throughout the episode. Lastly, we hear another song that is a direct reference to Ted Bundy called I Motherfucker by the Japanese doom metal band Church of Misery off of their album The Second Coming. Long intros. Let's get back into this episode. Whitney with a Kill will be dropping this coming Tuesday. Stick around, tell a friend, 
Rate us, review us. If you like us, be nice to us. Documenteerspodcast.com. Watch Cheers and keep on docking. Here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. It is a little after 9 o'clock in the evening. My name is Ted Bundy. I've never spoken to anybody about this. But I am looking for an opportunity to tell the story as best I can. our valentine's day episode if it gets done in time i think so (laughs) i thought february had to be all oscar nominees yeah but this will be an extra oh okay that's the plan oh yeah because this is a special mini series episode this is new everyone's talking about this one this documentary series which means we get to rate things in errol morris errol morris we're getting back to our original concept we Originally, we came together to be like, we're going to do true crime. True crime. And everyone has a subject, kind of, except Stuart. He does whatever. I think Stuart's subject is weird. Probably. Like weird in quotes. Or Stuart is weird. Who's Stuart? Stuart is weird, and so you can do weird things with Stuart. We're talking about the documentary series. (laughs) I love doing weird things with Stuart. He loves getting weirded out on. Okay. We're talking about Conversations <laughs> with a Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes, directed by Joe Berlinger. Joe Berlinger, mm. he's done documentaries that um, people ask us to do a lot. Like, uh, one of his most notable is the Paradise Lost trilogy about the West Memphis Three. Which I think are very good, and I would like to revisit, but it's just so much, and you can't do them back to back because they were made so far apart. That each one kind of rehashes so much. And also now we know so much about it that I feel like it'd be hard to go back and watch the first one again. Yes. Knowing what we know now about the way that documentaries can be biased or like try to flip things in a certain direction. Yes. I think that ultimately those are very important and were very influential and potentially saved the lives of these guys. Did a huge part to do so. But- We also know now that they were very skewed. In many ways. Like the first one, I think the director and the producers later were like acknowledged some of the things that they tried to claim in different ones, but they just kind of go forward. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, that's the power of a documentary. It can be problematic in a lot of ways, but still be a positive force for positive change. And that one definitely was. And that's one thing you can't take away from Joe Berlinger is thankfully he got innocent people off. There's just a lot more out there that are locked up for dumb fucking reasons we need to help. Well, he helped bring them, he helped bring people to them and make people aware of them who could get them out of there. Uh, He also directed the film Metallica, Some Kind of Monster, which I do plan on doing someday. I think sometime this year will be good. Is there an Alice Cooper documentary? I wouldn't be surprised. It probably shows him golfing through half of it. (laughs) True crime is hot, especially in the podcast world. Occasionally our show gets true crimey, but we don't rely on it. 
No, and we thought that we would do more true crime, you and I together, but there's just so much true crime. And unless it's like something new or something maybe a little lesser known, that's what's more interesting. I think you and I have absorbed so much true crime that we seem to be getting to a point where we're still interested in it, but we're kind of wanting to maybe get some more positive things in our eyeballs. 100% and ears. Also, we want to get through all these 90 Day Fiance seasons. <laughs> we do watch a lot of 90 Day Fiance, y'all. Which murders romance. That's like true crime. Like romance gets killed in 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> it's romance crime. Love crime. But Joe Berlinger, he also directed the upcoming biographical film of Ted Bundy starring Zac Efron called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Hey, this is like the backwards... Or the reverse of the guy that did the Jinx, because he directed the movie first and then did the documentary That's about the right. guy. And this is like we're doing the documentary about the guy, and then the movie's coming out. He's just obsessed with this story. I guess so. Or he knows a cash grab when he sees one. There's also like another documentary coming out soon, which is about the victims of Ted Bundy. I think it's called. Is it just called Theodore? I believe so. Yeah. And I'm really interested in that one because that's the other thing about true crime. Like you and I talk about a lot about how exploitive true crime can be, just even liking it. Because there's a misconception, and maybe some of it's true for some people, that it's a glorifying of the crimes, which I don't think it's that. I'm more interested in like why people do the things that they do and like the crazy things that can happen in this world. But it is often focused on the person who did the bad thing. It's not focused on the people who... Were hurt. It's all a very fine line. And I think even with the best intentions, you're still a little bit exploiting. And I think even those who absorb it, but like sometimes people get into true crime and it leads them into a life of law enforcement or something like that. Absolutely. Forensic science, all kinds of things. Ultimately, my feeling is what is true should be told. Yes. And even something that is true can be mildly exploitive, but sometimes we need to kind of sit back and look at ourselves looking at this shit sometimes, you know? Yeah. And I and I do listen to some true crime podcasts that some seem to understand it better than others, and others seem, like, very defensive when they're questioned about this <laughs> yeah. shit. Yeah. Want to see what this one does? Yeah. Let's see what this one does. We'll go ahead. We haven't watched it yet as of this point. So we're going to watch the story of Ted Blundy. Tell me everything you know about Ted Blundy. Okay, so I know that Ted Bundy... Answered phone calls at, I believe, a suicide prevention line or something to that effect um, at some point in his career. I know that Ted Bundy preyed upon exclusively younger women, like late teens to 20s, who had brown hair. There was like a whole thing at the time about like women were like bleaching their hair and stuff and cutting their hair off because it was like a thing. I know that he was extremely charming. He doesn't really fit the profile of someone that you think is a serial killer. I know that he's one of the, I don't know if he's the first one, but he's a major person who, though he committed these terrible crimes, had a huge like female following who were still totally obsessed with him. And no one could believe it. Also, um, he looks like young George Bush. How can he (laughs) be a killer? He's not ugly. (laughs) Yeah. Cute guys don't murder. He's not ugly. He can't be the killer. He can have any girl he wants. Why would he take one? Let's go. Let's go ahead. We haven't watched it yet. So after each episode, there's four. We're going to come back, record a little bit, talk about it, then come back. 
Y'all know how we do it. <laughs> this is only our second ever docuseries, though. I'm excited to rate another Errol Morris. Word. All right, let's get into it. Conversations with a Killer, the Ted Blundy tapes with Joe Berlinger, by Joe Berlinger. Let's go watch the first episode. Our house is on Sheridan Street in Tacoma. Second house from the corner on the west side of the street. Moved there, I would guess, about 1951. I remember Warren Dodge, my... One of my childhood buddies. We both went to football practice in the play field across from the tavern. And we fished it appeared off just across the railroad tracks from the tavern. I'm particularly uh, fond of looking at things in a chronological way. Mm-hmm. Uh, times, dates, places. All right, we're back. Episode one, which is called, what the fuck is it called? Handsome Devil. Was he that handsome? I don't know. You tell me. I don't think so. He seems kind of normal. Yeah, he seems pretty normal. Not that spectacular. I know we always hear about him being so charming. Well, he probably was. I mean, oh, this is the first time I get to throw around words like psychopath and sociopath. And it like actually applies. Yeah, I... At this point, I think he's a psychopath because we haven't learned anything about him. And he's apparently like, he has said clearly that like nothing happened to him when he was a kid that would have made him ever try to kill anybody. And that's part of the reason why he didn't kill anybody because he says he didn't do it. This uh, this dude named Steven, he goes in. A lot of people are vying for Bundy's interview. Oh, yeah. Bundy put out a thing that said, I will talk to someone about my story in exchange for someone reexamining this case. And so this kid, Stephen Mashad. And he got a colleague and he and the colleague went to, and they got the interview. They went to talk. Ted did not really want to talk about the murders. But what we get in this episode is life as a child. Like he's reciting the great American story or something. Because Stephen was young, he was like early 20s. He says that he really felt Ted saw him. Like the reason he said yes to him was because he saw him as someone who could be manipulated And that Ted really just wanted to do, like, his celebrity bio. Yeah. Right off, I was a little more into it than I thought I'd be. But this seems like maybe like a a good version of a basic cable true crime profile. Yeah. Better done than something on, like, the ID channel. But for sure the same sort of storytelling where you kind of go back and forth. They kind of un ravel the story as they want you to learn it now ted blundy talks about his childhood <laughs> like he's one of the, he was one of the boys you know he's just an all-american kid growing up nothing really that spectacular not unlike a lot of other kids who were out there uh want to be a boy big big sports star wanted to make the grade mm-hmm. but we talked to a lady yeah, she was the younger sister of one of his the kids he played with as a child. And she says that this dude was awkward as hell, did not really seem to truly connect with anyone. He didn't seem to do any harm, but he just seemed like very off. Yeah, and especially him making the big point about being so good at sports, she actually said that he was terrible. He yeah. couldn't do the things that the other boys can do. He never sort of measured up. Yeah. And you get, and it probably affected him real hard because Ted wanted to be the best at whatever he was trying to do. Yeah, she also said that 
there was a very big distinction. Like it was a lot of kids that played together, but there was a distinction between like the haves and the have nots. And it was obvious that Ted's family were the have not. So he was a poor, awkward kid. You know, a lot of what's spoken about Ted Blundy is super charming, good looking. This lady is like, he was a dork. He was like a weird dork and not like a fun dork awkward and could not connect with other human beings well yeah and the fact that she thought and other people thought too like that he was so cute it was so weird like why can't this cute guy get a girlfriend fortunately he moved he grows up mm-hmm. well i don't actually it's not fortunate at all because he's a fucking psycho true but he goes to college and he gets a blank slate at this point so now ted blundy can become whatever he wants to be. Yeah, there's this weird part where, and this is a very, I think, like, psychopath, like, way of looking at life. Like, he decided, I don't want to be the way that I am anymore. And he said that he was very insecure before that. I don't know if he was very insecure before that or he just didn't understand how to, like, associate with other people. But he said that he just sat down one night and decided how he wanted to be. And he wanted to be, he wanted to be aloof. He wanted to be charming and witty and seem like sort of carefree. And that was his way of like making people think that he was really good and making people want to be around him. So he kind of took what he considered to be a shy awkwardness and turned it into like an aloof attractiveness. Projects onto people what they, what you want them to see. Mm -hmm. No better thing to get into than politics. Ted Bundy was a card-carrying Republican and actually, you know, did some work for the local Washington Republican Party. And he has his friend, his friend, he's, I forget, we're we're not going to remember all these fucking names. No. But he had this friend who talked about, he hung out with this guy and he talked about how he had a, he had a Volkswagen bug. So Ted got a Volkswagen bug. Yeah. Uh, He wanted to go to this school and Ted tried to go to that school, but he failed. Yeah. He tried to be a lawyer, but it failed. Like he fucked up law school. Well, he he ended up getting into law school, but he fucked up his LSAT. So he didn't get into as good of a law school as he wanted. He wanted to go Ivy League. Like Ted thought he's going to go to Harvard, but he didn't. He ended up in like local law school, but he was in school with this guy, I believe. He also made a comment at some point about the guy's wife and- in with this whole persona of this person that Ted wanted to be, this lawyer, this politician, like in these circles, he was able to kind of pretend that he had things, you know, like that he was more affluent than he was. And he got this girlfriend who he was super in love with. And she obviously came from a good family. She wanted nice things. And he wasn't always able to give those to her. Her name was Diane Marjorie Jean Edwards. Yeah. And Diane is someone that this is one thing that I did know about Ted before. I'm already learning that there's a lot of things I didn't know about Ted, but I had heard of Diane before. And Diane is kind of the girl who all the other girls look like that come later. All the girls that Ted hurt have this like dark hair and kind of same look as Diane. And I've, I've heard people have that theory before, obviously not blaming Diane, but that when their relationship dissolves, because it did, because Ted couldn't give her what she wanted, and he was off traveling. Driving four hours at a time. Well, right. I mean. Do do women start disappearing before their relationship breaks apart? That was actually something that I wasn't sure about, because the way the documentary is told, it kind of goes back and forth along this like tape line. Like There's this image sure. 
And it kind of goes back and forth. Lots of footage of just tape rolling. Yes. That's that's like a trope that we're starting to see quite a bit now. Yeah, but there's almost this like timeline thing that kind of goes back and forth. And before they talk about his relationship with Diane, there are two girls they mention who went missing. So it's possible these girls went missing first. Um, Linda Ann Healy and George Ann Hawkins. Those were the first two girls that we know of that, were eventually tied to Ted. And then they talk about Diane. There is a point where he's talking about he and Diane breaking up, and he does actually say that he was so mad that he wanted to get revenge on Diane. We he, know he didn't ever do anything to Diane. And he says, he talks about the end of a summer where it's absolutely blank. That's what he describes in, in the tapes. Yeah, after she broke up, he doesn't know what he did. So I don't know if that's when those two ladies went missing. I don't know if that's when we lost our next four ladies. I think I think women were probably starting to disappear before the girlfriend came along and broke up with them. But after this point, a lot more women start to disappear from all over Washington and parts of Oregon. From like Seattle to Tacoma to Ellensburg and to Olympia. Yeah, the women that went missing were Donna Gail Manson, Susan Elaine Rancourt, Roberta Kathleen Parks, and Brenda Carol Ball. They all go missing within maybe a, maybe one each month Yeah, for a little while. And these police officers in these little cities that you just named they don't immediately realize that this is such a big deal because they're not talking to each other. The folks in Ellensburg are not talking to the folks in Seattle. Yeah. Like they're not communicating to know that this is a bigger problem or that these girls are similar. Uh, one thing that was that kind of drove Ted Bundy and his political view, he really hated any left-wing <laughs> shit. And like he hated protesters and he was very anti-union. He really looked down on, I guess, so-called hippie culture. This this man who raped women to death and fucked dead bodies. Like he was disgusted by someone who would argue for a fair wage. Terrible because they didn't think the law applied to them. Yeah, every serial killer has this like dog shit aspect to him. Oh yeah, there's always like a holier than thou. What I do is not on the same level. Yeah, I think they're doing the world a favor, like the way they can bend it in their brain. But again, Ted is not, like, confessing to these deaths. Yeah, and Stephen keeps trying to get him to talk about these things, but he just doesn't. He just keeps saying, like, I don't know. I didn't do that. How would I know? He does talk a little bit about, um, he does get another girlfriend Yeah. in this episode. Liz, Elizabeth, I think it's Klopfer. And she is a woman who is a Mormon. Um, she has a daughter. And Ted kind of talks about her as in this was a different sort of relationship with him. He'd never been in this kind of setting before, I think, with a child. And he really cared about this woman. He actually talks about he was mildly obsessed with her. But that while he was so obsessed with her and her loving him and he didn't want to lose her, he also didn't know how to include her in his life. He didn't know how to make her feel important. But how could he include her in his life when a huge chunk of his life is murdering women? Like, that's where the disconnect comes. So, he didn't say that, of course. So women are disappearing. The police have no leads at all. Uh, but one day, there's like a, uh, like a big thing going on. This is in broad fucking daylight. Yeah, it's like, was it tens of thousands of people at a park? I don't know how many it was, but there was just a lot of people there. It was a ton of people. It was this huge event. Having a good time, no problem. But then towards the end of the day, it's discovered that two women have gone missing during this day. Yeah. Everyone's freaking out. Like, where did these girls go? Again, like all the other girls, 
they're like good girls who had no reason to run off and there's nowhere that they would have gone. Yeah. They're just missing. These two women's names are Denise Nasland and Janice Ott. And so over the next however long, they start interviewing people. They actually, at this point, there's a female police officer that's interviewed or detective that's interviewed through this episode. And this is where she entered the picture because they said we needed a woman to come do interviews with women in this space. And so they're interviewing all these women and they find out that both of these women at different times during the day were approached by a man who had a cast on his arm and he apparently approached more people. But what he said was, and I believe it was to Denise, her friends overheard him saying, will you come help me load my boat onto my car. And he had this cast and he was charming and she went with him. I believe that was Denise. Um, The other woman, I believe that she maybe had gone to the restroom and then disappeared. But they get sort of, they start getting like composite sketches of what this guy might look like. And one of these women actually said, like overheard one of the ladies saying, hi, my name is, and he said, yeah, hi, my name is Ted. Steven is frustrated because he can't get Ted to talk about these murders. Yeah. Ted, of course, is saying he's innocent, but he appeals to, I think Ted did go to college for a little while and studied psychology or psychiatry. I think psychology. And he appealed to his ego and said, tell us what you think. How would you profile this kind of person? And then Ted picks up that tape recorder and he just starts going. Yeah. Like Stephen wasn't even in the room. And that leads us into our uh, second episode of the Ted Blundy tapes. So let's go do it. Let's go watch it. Generally describe manifestations of this condition. This, this person's being skewed toward matters of a sexual nature that involve violence. You go to the mouth of any great of any great river and pull out a handful of water that's flowing from it and say, where did it come from? Mm-hmm. To trace it back. Okay, and this is why what we're dealing with here. We're talking about microscopic events, as it were, undistinguishable, undetectable events. The melting of, of a single snowflake, as it were. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) When we left you before, Ted had started telling this story in sort of a third person in a voice that he starts calling, is it the entity? The entity. The entity. So now Ted is actually kind of telling this story a little bit from this sort of third person. This is how someone who does these kind of things would behave. He talks about like sexuality, how the person basically has their wires crossed. Sex and violence are combined in this person's mind. Yeah, starts with like obsession with sex and then becomes darker. And even he says he doesn't really know why that that would have necessarily turned that way. Yeah, he seems to not have any answers specifically as to why anything is the way it is. Yeah. And he could very well be literally confused as to why he is the way he is. It's hard to tell. Doesn't he talk about also like this entity sort of telling the person what to do? Almost like he's got a voice in his head. Something like that. Yeah. You know, we haven't, I don't know if this will bring this up because we still need to finish it. But but I heard this thing and it may or may not be true. At Ted Bundy, like a few other serial murders, he took a blow. 
of someone swinging on a swing and that person hit him on the swing. Gotcha. I think Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, those are two that come to mind. Yeah. That actually took like a head blow in this manner. Yeah. I mean, obviously not everyone who gets their head hit. It's sort of a thing where there's like a list of things that if you have a couple of them, it's just very common with these sort of individuals who end up being serial killers or or awful murderers. So while Ted's talking about this, obviously they keep going back and forth to the investigation and trying to figure out what's going on with these ladies. Yeah. And they talk about how, you know, they got this name Ted. They don't know if they're really looking for a Ted. And a Volkswagen bug, which apparently there's 40,000 of them in Washington. Oh my God, so many Volkswagen bugs. It's ridiculous. So they start like kind of narrowing down like everyone who has a Volkswagen bug. Obviously they're looking at like a white male. They're trying to figure out people who like, may have ever gotten in trouble before or like been suspicious people. And they literally say that they have so little idea who it is that they take every phone call that comes into them. And a lot of women are calling in saying like, Hey, maybe you should look at my boyfriend. Right. And one of those people is Ted's girlfriend. And Liz basically says, hi, my boyfriend's name is Ted. And there's been some really suspicious things like he'll leave a family gathering early and then be out all night. And he was like late once the next day to her like daughter's baptism, but he didn't have any excuse as to where he was. Like it was as though he didn't know or he wouldn't say. She found a knife under the seat of his car once. There was, was there like blood? There was something else that she found that was weird, but there was always sort of like either a reason or she maybe didn't even say anything to him. She apparently told a story about how he jove. I don't know if it was jovial. Oh, yeah. But he told her that he told her a story about how he used to follow women around campus and college and he knew he wasn't shouldn't do it, but he kind of did it anyway. Yeah. And about how he he would try not to, but it was hard not yeah. to. Right. Interesting. But then she also said that that also didn't really jive with like their everyday life together, that in their relationship and the way he treated her and her family, everything seemed totally fine. But these were sort of like little red flag things that made her question what was going on. Yeah. But around this time, they break up. Yeah, they questioned Ted, but they got nothing. Oh, yeah, they did. They questioned. Oh, that's the other thing is that they actually like took a photo of Ted and put it in with like some other photos of similar looking dudes and asked the eyewitnesses from that day at the park. Is any of these guys the guy? And literally, I think it was like seven or eight out of 10 people said it was definitely not him. I think no one was able to corroborate. Yeah. And the thing is, is and as we'll learn as we watch this more he would change his look periodically, like, and apparently just parting his hair on the different side or getting a haircut, he could look drastically different very easily. Makes sense that he might do stuff like that after every time he does one of these murders. He knew people saw him. But Ted decides to go to Utah, big, beautiful Utah, open spaces. Uh, I'm sure he. It, it looks like a lot of places where you could hide dead bodies. Yeah, but in Utah, he no longer has his political ties. But uh, if you and now, if you're in Utah and you want <laughs> to get in on a community, a community that'll give you some positions of authority and power and respect, what community would you uh, join up in Utah if you wanted to do that? Maybe a religious community. The Mormons. 
A big difference between Ted and the Mormon, though, is that Mormons ha- are very guilt-ridden. I know all religions have, like, guilt complexes. Catholics claim they got it big. Jewish people claim they got it big. No one has guilt like a Mormon. I will tell anybody. No one guilts like a Mormon. And I'd put I'd put my money on it. But that's one thing Ted didn't have. He didn't feel guilty. He was a psychopath. Yeah, absolutely. Now, but he could pretend. And now he has... Now this corpse fucker, Ted Blundy, he has the religious indignation on his side. Ugh, and yeah. In his little Mormon community, they love him. And guess what happens? Women start disappearing throughout Utah. The first woman to go missing is Melissa Smith, followed by Nancy Wilcox and Laura Amy. And then Ted makes a mistake. Ted tries to kidnap a woman And it doesn't go so well. Her name is Carol, right? Carol Durant. Carol's at the mall. Carol's looking at the bookstore. They showed a little clip of Walden Books. We had a Walden Book when I was younger. I used to buy books there for school. So she's like looking in the window of the Walden Books or whatever. And this man approaches her plain clothes and says, excuse me, I'm a policeman. Someone was breaking into your car. Yeah, you pretty ladies. Someone broke into your car. Could you please come with me? So she goes with him. She's like, okay, police officer, sure. She goes with him out to her car and she looks in the car and she's like, nothing's missing. She He wants her to like lean into it and she won't do it. She's like, it looks fine. Yeah. And then he says, well, we're holding a guy down at the station. Why don't you come with me and you can actually fill out like a report against him and we can like try to get him for this. And she starts feeling real weird. And she says, can you show me some identification? And he has a badge, like a fake badge, you assume. Probably not that hard to get. Yeah, you could probably get a badge that you could just flash really quick and it would look like something that maybe it wasn't. But so she goes with him to his car, which is a Volkswagen bug. <laughs> she thought he was undercover, maybe. So, uh, it's easy to judge because uh, we know what's going on. I know. And th- this was a very different time. Yeah. People were not scared the way we are now people back which then is weird still... because the crime rate was very high then well yeah because there was a lot of like hitchhiking yeah you would just get into people's cars the crime rate now is actually for violent crime is actually quite low mm-hmm. but back then it was way high and people acted like they didn't care i don't know this could be off base but in utah where nine out of ten every people sorry nine out of ten people that you encounter are probably Mormon, you might feel a sense of security that's not really there. Yeah. Because for sure, people sitting in every church congregation in the world, there are bad people in those rooms. Like, but, just because you go to church doesn't mean you're a good person. What is it with that sense of security? I mean, everybody in our lives, the people that are most likely to hurt us are people that are in our everyday lives. Right. The people that are most likely to commit crimes against us are people within our own race and culture. Mm-hmm. It, there's just, our, the way we default contradicts the facts that life actually has. It's very bizarre. And this and this time, you know, these times are when the term serial killer came from. Is going, you know, you got Ted Bundy and the Hillside Strangler and Zodiac, all those motherfuckers. But it's not like there weren't serial murderers. You sure, know. sure. But I mean, I guess Ted was attacking like suburban young white college women. Yeah. And that was destined to get a lot of attention. But there's imagine the 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 
the serial killers in history that we'll never know about that probably just murdered people who were suffering from addictions or like extremely poor people and mm-hmm. just got away with it their whole life. Brutal. It's it's awful. It's awful to think about. I mean, Jack Ripper. <laughs> he. You're making fun of me because I call him Jack Ripper. So Jack the Ripper. Jack Ripper did murder like so-called low-class women, but he also mutilated them. During that time, they romanticized the mutilation. So it was like flashy. And there was like H.H. H. Holmes, but I truly believe that he got himself caught because he stopped traveling around and like conning people and he created a fucking torture dungeon. And then he just kind of went off the rails. Like he got a little, he thought he was a little too smart. He, his con manness, I think, got him more than his murdering. H.H. H. Holmes, that story has become so padded, you know? Yeah. There's just a lot extra like stuck in there. And I guess it's easy to get away with. Because it happened so long ago. He is one, though, that I actually have read books about. Like, I am really intrigued with with that story. Yeah. Um, But that was part of the whole thing was that he was in a time where you could move to a new city and just make up a name. And yeah. no one knew. You could come from anywhere and have done anything. You could write a letter to somebody and say, like, you write a letter to someone's parents and tell them that you're you're moving and not coming back home. And they think it's true. Carol Durant. Oh, right. So it's back to Carol. We didn't finish that fucking story. (laughs) That's okay. Um, So Carol got in his car and they started driving. And all of a sudden he pulls over into like an elementary school parking lot. And she, of course, is like, what the fuck is going on? And we're hearing this like firsthand account from Carol. He tries to, he puts a handcuff on one of her arms. He doesn't get the other one. Yeah. It's like hanging loose on her. And she manages to get away. And it, he, she said he popped a gun on her. and the, But she ran. But he didn't shoot her. Uh-uh. He had a crowbar. And he was trying to, like, beat her over the head. So they're fighting. And they're scrapping. She's breaking her nails, like, trying to get away from this guy. And then a car pulls up. And she, like, throws herself into the car. And is like, take me to the fucking police station. Yeah. And she they do. And she goes. And she tells him everything that she knows. But they have no idea who this guy could be. That same day, four hours later, a woman named Deborah Kent was abducted and murdered by he, Ted Bundy. He was so enraged that he didn't get to kill Carol that he just murdered this poor woman instead. Now, women in Colorado did begin to disappear. One was a sheriff's daughter. Karen Campbell. She's the first one that we know of in Colorado. And Utah police, is co- are co- they see the pattern now. Utah police are corroborating with the Colorado police, and they are now in communication with the Washington police. And it just so happens on a mountain in Washington, they find, what, six, seven bodies? Six bodies. The first six, um, the first six that he killed, Linda Healy, Georgianne Hawkins, Donna Manson, Susan Rancourt, Roberta Parks, and Brenda Ball. All of those bodies were found, I believe, within like a one-mile radius of each other. They'd been dismembered. We don't know if Ted did that, if animals did that. Their bodies were, it was basically just bones. So it was really Students found them, right? Yeah, it was like a forestry class. Yeah. Who found, they found, I believe it was Brenda Ball's skull, and that's what started the search. And this was like tall fucking grass. It was almost kind of just dumb luck that they managed to find the skull because if they didn't find brenda ball's skull who knows even today if how long it would have taken to find anyone if ever 
Yeah, we might not have known. Around this time also, when this was going down, two more bodies were found in Colorado. Uh, Julie Cunningham and Denise Oliverson. So, I mean, he's still doing stuff in Colorado. Folks start talking to each other, and but they also keep searching this mountain. And I believe it was like three miles away from where those six bodies were found. They found the other two bodies. They found Denise Nasland and Janice Ott. Oh, wow. And so that is what solidified in Washington state that all eight of these murders were related. And then they have this big meeting of the minds where Washington and Utah and Colorado people like go to one location and hash it out. And they're like, what happened to your girl? This is what happened to our girl. This is what this looks like. And they knew at that point that it was one person. Now this police officer sees a Volkswagen bug driving without the headlights on, tries to pull the person over, person does not pull over, now this person's going to be arrested. If he had just pulled over and been like, oh, I forgot to turn my headlights on. Oh, yeah, because he's charming. He could have gotten out of it. Who knows? But he gets arrested for failing to obey a police officer. I guess he fits just some descriptions, doesn't he? Yeah, he fits the description. But also, in his car, they fucking found his murder bag. Yeah. They found a duffel bag that had a ski mask and some pantyhose, some ripped up sheets. There was a photo where it also showed, I believe, a thing of garbage bags. There was a bunch of stuff in this bag, but it was a murder bag. So he's taken into custody. He's put into a lineup and he tries to change his appearance. Mm -hmm. But Carol recognizes him based on how he walks into the room. Oh, yeah. She said there was no doubt from the second she saw him who he was. Now, Ted decides to forego a jury trial. He's charged with kidnapping. Yeah, because they want to get him for the murders. They believe that he's the guy, but... They can't prove any of it. So they're like, we at least, we got to hold him on this kidnapping. We got to get him for kidnapping. But he he chooses to go straight for a judge with his Mormon lawyer buddy. Mm -hmm. And his church is behind him. Oh, yeah. They like, they did a cute cartoon card for him and everything. It's like, how could he possibly be a killer? He goes to church. How many true crime things have we seen? (laughs) Where someone is talking about a killer and they're like, they went to church? He went to church. I'm not trying to tell you not to go to church. You're probably a fine person, especially if you're a documenteers fan. But sit in your church, look around you. Not everyone around you is going to be a fucking good person. No, not at all. Statistically, it's impossible. Unless your church is very, very, very small. Also, just because someone's like an acquaintance of yours or a friend of a friend, like the lawyer's like, oh, I'm sure everything's going to be fine. One of the girls in my office had dated him and he was a nice guy. I like it when people like... Who are accused of harassment or rape or murder. And they interview a friend of theirs. Like they did something terrible to a woman. And some male friend of theirs goes on TV. And is like, he seemed like a nice guy. He never did anything to me. Why would he? What are you talking about? If they don't rape me, I guess they're innocent. Ugh. So. He didn't have sex with my corpse. <laughs> I think Mr. Blundy's a nice man. But Man. people in Carol's life are like, are you sure this guy? Because he seems real with it because he's all about mugging for that camera. And, P- and Carol's like, fuck you. Yes, it was. And she goes through a fucking grilling on the stand. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, the judge rules in her favor and Ted has to go to jail. Yeah, there's this thing where they hire a psychologist to evaluate Ted because they're holding him. But they're basically like... We need to evaluate you to know if you need to stay in jail or if you can be on probation. 
Because the whole thing is, if he did try to kidnap this woman, but this was like a one-time thing, and he's not really violent, then can he be in the community, or is he a risk? Also, it's starting to open up that he that the Colorado police are looking at him for these murders in Colorado at the same time. There's something that happens where, and again, they jump back and forth a little bit in the timeline, you know, but they find in his apartment in Utah a brochure for a Colorado Inn, which is where Karen Campbell worked. Yeah, who was was abducted from that inn. He's like a chameleon. It's not, it, uh, he is a charming man, but he's also somebody who can make himself not be really seen. Yeah. If he doesn't want to be seen. Yeah. Well, and they also found, because of that, then they looked at his, uh, I guess, credit card records and were able to see that he got gasoline the same night that she disappeared for, like, was it for, within four miles of where she was? Yeah. And so, obviously, it was him. But again, this is still where we're like, they haven't charged him on that yet because they're still building that case. But this psychologist starts looking at him and starts like, you know, doing what we were just talking about, interviewing his family, interviewing friends. Everybody's like, he's a great guy. His family didn't like, do it. His family's like, he's perfect. His mom is like, he was an amazing child. He was a perfect child. But then the psychologist starts talking to ex-girlfriends. And there's this ex-girlfriend who tells this story about how they went swimming one day. And Ted held her head under the water until she was almost drowning. He let her up drowning. just to get one breath. Um, and I'm not even the stuffy one. Um, she, <laughs> um, he let her up just long enough to get, like, just long enough to get one big breath. And then he pushed her head back under again. So he scared the shit out of her. So it's almost like at that point he was testing what that might feel like, you know, but she was just a lucky one that maybe he wasn't at that point yet where he was actually going to kill somebody. Well, the psychologist finds out that Ted's dad is not his dad. And in fact, his dad is unknown listed on a birth certificate. Right. And he found out when he was like 14. And Ted knew about this, but he totally dismisses it in, in an interview. He's like, oh, that's nothing. That's a big deal. Lots of lots of kids don't know who their real father is, you know, and they turn out fine. But the psychologist was like, this is a big deal. His mother was trying to put him up for adoption and his grandfather made his mother take him back. And I don't know how deep it'll go because we still need to watch the rest of it. But I totally forgot. And how much how much fucked up shit do I absorb that I forgot that Ted Bundy's grandfather might also be his father? Oh my god, I did not know that. We'll have to maybe, see what's up. Maybe you've told me that before. Allegedly, allegedly, that's a little familiar. Like maybe we've had that conversation, but shit. So Ted is officially going to be charged for the murder. The psychologist Ted says to him, "Do you think that I killed those all those girls that they think that I killed?" The psychologist says something along the lines of, "If you did do it, Ted, you will do it again." And at that moment, he said that Ted paused and looked at him and then turned around and walked away. And that was so telling. He knew he wasn't going to convince him of anything. And so the psychologist turned in his report to the judge and said, this man is a risk. Yeah. And so he got a sentence that was one to 15 years, like an indeterminate sentence, one to 15 years. Now, he I guess he's in Colorado. He has to go to Colorado to get arraigned. And he's, he's in a trial for the murder then. Oh, so they move him. They move him from... I think they move him to okay. a courthouse. And while he's in the courthouse, he's in, I guess, a holding cell at the courthouse, I, I think. Right? 
I don't know, but he's there for a little while because it talks about he starts kind of like training himself. Yeah. He starts like jumping from his top bunk to strengthen his legs. And he starts like running around in circles inside of wherever he's being held. And Ted makes a break for a window while he's waiting to go into the courtroom. Mm-hmm. Jumps out of what appears to be like a three-story jump. Mm-hmm. And he jumps out the fucking window. A lot of people are questioning whether or not he's guilty or innocent. And he's doing a good job of baiting reporters and media. And this dude just jumped out of a fucking window. You know what makes you look guilty as fuck? Jumping out of a window <laughs> when you're about to go to court for a possible murder. And we're, let's uh, let's dive right into episode three, which is called Not My Turn to Watch Him, Ted Blundy. person of this type chooses his victim for a reason. His victims are young, attractive women. When our possessions beings which are subservient more often than not to males women are merchandise from the pornographic through playboy right on up to the evening news so it's not an sexual component however sex has significance only in in the context of a much broader scheme of things that is possession control violence Man, are we back. Episode three, not my turn to watch them. I need to watch some Cheers after this shit. I feel like it's not my turn to watch any more of these episodes. I kind of <laughs> would rather be talking about Cheers right now. I ra- almost would rather be talking about anything else right it- now. But also, like, and obviously we'll get into this when I do my rating. This shit drags a bit. It does. And there's nothing here. If you know everything about this case, there's n- absolutely nothing new. Well, yeah. actually, for me, there is new stuff. There's stuff that I didn't know. There's just stuff I'm being reminded. I did know most of this shit. Well, you're better than me. Oh, but well, that's I didn't I, mean that. <laughs> no, I just I don't know. I'm learning things that I didn't know about this story. As as I said before, like I thought I knew more about this than I do, and I'm interested in this story. I guess I really think I'm getting. To where it's harder and harder to do, like, murder crime stuff lately. Yeah, yeah I just want to focus more on happy good time things. I think I'll always be intrigued by this stuff, like true crime and shit. Yeah. At this point, we've absorbed so much true crime that some things are just kind of old hat. Like, yeah. we're starting to see, it's like with when Drew and I do the 30 for 30s, we're, start, we're starting to see tropes yeah. regarding sport documentaries. And, and that result of seeing those tropes is making us actually be a lot harsher to these movies. Absolutely. I, I just feel like, same as you, I'm always going to be interested in the story. But listen, I just don't, I don't need to roll around in it. You know, watch your fancy schmancy art school picture collages with like skulls and fire. and. <laughs> I don't like it because it's so artsy fartsy. Photographs of Ted Bundy looking like 20 different people. He was a chameleon. Yeah. I don't think I knew that either. Man, I'm surprised you don't like this more because you don't know anything about Ted Bundy case. <laughs> well, okay, so let's go back like, to the You're like, you're actually getting an education here. I just assumed you knew most of this shit. Well, okay, I knew, I knew about all the murders. 
Okay, I had forgotten a few of the details of the different murders. What I didn't know about was what this kind of starts with, which is, you know, as we talked about before, he jumps out of a window. It wasn't of a holding cell. It was actually of a courtroom. They weren't watching him. And he was in the courtroom. Yeah, we thought. I think I said something. There might have been a cell in the courthouse. I don't think that's a thing. I think he was practicing in his cell to jump out of the courthouse. Yes. It was a little confusing at the end of they that were, episode. They let him, like, basically run around unattended in the courtroom library. And that's where the name of this episode comes from. Now, they always talk about how charming Ted Bundy is. And I'm sure, yeah, he's. I think he's got that stranger charm where he's good at disarming you if you don't know him. Right. But it seems like dudes are very charmed by him. You know what I'm saying? Like, people around him in his orbit regarding law enforcement, they almost take a little bit of pride in being around him. I mean, they don't interview everyone who was involved in his arrests, but it seems like everyone's kind of, like, proud to be there. I feel like that happens with super charming people, and also he was notorious. Well, I guess at this point he wasn't. They didn't really, hadn't really tied him definitively to the murders at this point. It was just the kidnapping. They suspected him of a murder and they were trying to get him on another one. But at this point it was just kidnapping. But I feel like that is a thing about super charming people is that it's that whole like girls want to fuck you and boys want to be you or fuck you. Like just depending. Yeah, they liked being around him. Well, he jumps out the courthouse window, takes off into the mountains, and he's gone for like a few days. He manages to find a cabin. I think it's like a whole week. People are going out of their minds because he's loose. He's in Aspen, Colorado, because this is where they're charging him, and they were talking about how there's only two streets out of Aspen. Yeah, I think we said he was in Utah last episode, but he's in Aspen, Colorado. Yeah, well, because he was in Utah, and then he was in Colorado, and he got caught in Colorado. Whatever, but... Uh, sure, I guess. I guess. He was in Aspen. I think he's getting shuffled around. Who and, cares? Right. So he's running around off in the mountains. They're trying to search for him. They start looking at all these cars. And they had this like fact that they threw out where they're doing all these traffic blocks to make sure he's not getting out of town. But they didn't find him. But they, but they found like 20 <laughs> other people that they needed for other things and... 200 pounds of marijuana. It's a bad week to ride around with weed in your car <laughs> if you're an Aspen. I mean, Colorado. I mean, it, it wasn't what it was now. I know, but I'm just saying, like, obviously, it's always been. There's always been a lot of weed. Everywhere. In there's Colorado. Always, I know. Everywhere, everywhere always been a lot of weed. Everywhere. He gets hungry and he walks down. I think he steals a car, but a cop sees him. He's malnourished because he's been in a cabin in the woods in the mountains. They said he lost 25 pounds. I feel like it was about eight days. He lost 25 pounds. He had, like, no food. He's burning calories, eating nothing. I mean, he might have died if he hadn't found that cabin. Unfortunately. Right. He unfortunately found a cabin. Unfortunately, so he survived. Shelter. Like, three more women could have been alive. Yeah. If he just fucking died in the mountains. But, yeah, they caught him, and they apparently had blisters all over his feet because he'd been running around barefoot, and he, you know, they bring him back, and then they're like, okay, we got to, can't let go of you this time. We got to be real serious about it now. Stop sucking his dick. We only suck his dick on the weekends, okay? <laughs> Officer Dale, <laughs> suck his dick on Fridays. You don't need to suck his dick Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Man, man. So anyway, he's convicted no, of he's the kidnapping? No, he's not convicted. He's no, but getting, he just moved into another jail. He, get, he gets more charges. He gets put into a, a jail cell. Right. The jail cell is under, apparently where he's at in the jail or prison or wherever, there's an apartment by like one of the guards or the warden of the jail or prison. There's an apartment above him and he loses weight, gets down to like, I think they said a hundred. I didn't catch the apartment part. 140 
pounds. Yeah. And manages to kind of hack his way through the ceiling. Yeah, and then he climbed into the ceiling. And this is another part that maybe this isn't totally right. They didn't say it. But that he'd been scouting this. Like, he'd been crawling around, hearing them have conversations. Oh. No, he knew that was an apartment before he made his final move. See, I think you just knew that. I don't even remember them mentioning the apartment. They just said he got up in the ceiling and then no one knew where he was. They That's me- so interesting. They did mention there was an apartment overhead okay. because he found clothes there and was able to walk out the, right, the right. front door. I think I got confused by that because why would there be an apartment and above the, a jail? And that was probably when he shaved down to like some cheesy mustache and took off. Who knows? And so... He's gone for like 46 days. Yeah, it's like 46 days. What happens is two women at a Kyle yes, Mega house. Yes. This is... This is probably the most famous Bundy murder. Right. And so in Tallahassee, Florida, at the Kyle Omega house, two women were murdered, Margaret Bowman and Lisa Levy, and two other women were attacked, but they survived. It was Karen Chandler and Kathy Kleiner. And so then they're all of a sudden like, we got to find these this guy, they're still, I believe, at the scene of the crime at the Kyle Omega house when they get a phone call that somebody is, sounds like they're being beaten up really bad at a duplex. Bunny's MO, he's got multiple MOs. I don't know if he had time to do it with everyone because he kind of had to move quick but orderly. He beat these women to death and it's his, it's his MO to like either molest or sexually assault right. after he's done the act, which... I mean, he's a necrophile. I think they mentioned this objectively mm-hmm. at the very beginning. But this dude is a corpse fucker. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's not really until this episode they start really getting to more details. Hearing that he's abducting and kidnapping and killing women. Mm-hmm. But there's not a lot of details on what he's doing. Yeah, and they mention in this one that it appears that the reason he was able to walk through the Pi Omega house, like he literally walked in, did this, walked out, was because he attacked these women so quickly that he basically either hit them and killed them or knocked them unconscious. No one could even scream. Everything was like orderly and he had like a, a method. And this is when we find out about the the bite, right? Yes. This is the first time they talk about the fact that he Another of his bit MOs. these women. He will bite the, the bodies of his victims. Yeah. So they're investigating this. Then they get a call that sounds like someone's getting beat. The person like in the duplex next to them they called and was like somebody on the other side of my duplex is getting beat they thought could this be the same person surely not it's too soon but it was six blocks away so they sent someone over to look and cheryl thomas was there and she had also been brutalized but she also survived but again they're pretty sure that bundy thought she was dead before he left but he wasn't sticking around to like check he was like doing his thing and getting out of there very quickly he's running on pure impulse he's like deprived of what he truly wants to do the most those impulses are represented in this docuseries on like flashing images of like those uh black and white bondage scenes that we see in like a couple of the episodes yeah it's almost like they're trying to be like this is what is inside his head so it's like fire and like bones and like bondage porn and all kinds of stuff if this is the first true crime anything you've ever seen it's probably very impressive like seriously no sure 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 we've seen this shit a thousand times you're right but but i just keep now i can't get the image out of my head like what you said before about how it's like just a really really well done cable crime show and it is it's way better than those but it's still that same sort of formula they're looking for this guy they're trying to do a profile they talk about how it's just really difficult because they started this profile they actually 
called the FBI to try to get them to help. And the FBI was looking for Ted Bundy. Like after he'd escaped, the FBI got involved and were trying to like find him. But even when these guys in Tallahassee call the FBI, they don't connect this because this seems this seems like a crazy killer, not the like calculated Ted Bundy who, like you said, abducts and, yeah. and then waits a month before the next thing that he does. And so they're just at a loss. They have a profile, but they have no one to compare it to. So a 12-year-old girl goes missing. In Lake City, Florida. They just know she's missing, and I don't think they've connected it to these acts yet. Not at all. Um, It's Kim Leach. Yeah. She's at school. She walks away from school and is never seen again. I think it's on day 46 where a police officer pulls over a red Volkswagen bug. Guess who was in it? Theodore Blundy. But he's not, he doesn't give them a name. What ha- what they ended up finding out is that he had like 21 credit cards and he had this ID. And I think the guy was from Tallahassee because they find out that the credit cards were stolen. Yeah. Later, they find out the credit cards were stolen from a bar that was next to the sorority house. So it all kind of starts connecting slowly. But yeah, he was in Pensacola in this in this car, not saying who he was. And they were basically like, you stole a car, you stole a TV, you had these 21 credit cards, like all this stuff. And it was all small things, but they wouldn't let him go because all he wouldn't say who he was. Small things. <laughs> so... All these things they're holding him on are, I mean, fairly, it's not violent crimes. And so his public defender's like, you should put him out on bond. But the judge refuses because he won't say his name. And thank goodness, right? Because if that judge had been like, yeah, okay, he can go, he would have been gone again. Yeah. I mean, it's stupid to say we can let this person go when we don't know what his name is. Like, that's idiotic. Dumber things have happened in some of these stories. You know, people have had dumber luck. So eventually, Ted Blondie... Agrees to tell him their real name, but he's got to call his ex Liz. He says, if you let me call Liz, I'll tell you who I am. And there's interesting phone call where, yeah. where there's a, like, there's, it's like a half confession and, and Liz is piecing it together. He doesn't have to tell her much. And he, and she's like, is there something wrong with you? And he collect calls her a few times before where eventually he's, he does admit that there is something very wrong with him. Yeah. She asks him specifically, like, are you sick? Yeah. And he gets real weird about it, but then he calls her back later and he's like, I am sick and there's something inside of me and I try to fight it, but I can't. Which goes back to him talking about the entity, right? right? It's like this uncontrollable thing. And he's just, it's basically like he's wanting to explain to her that some bad shit's going to come down in the morning. It's almost like he wants to talk to her one more time and try to apologize without admitting anything. He does apparently tell her that he wished they could talk without anyone listening. He seems to, in his own warped way, respect her. I guess she was like the semblance of normality that he had. But he was never fucking normal. No, but I really think his relationship with her is like the most humane about him. Like that's the only like bit of humanity to him. Like he he liked her kid. He wanted to be in that relationship. He just fucking couldn't. The movie that's coming out that's also by Berlinger, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. Mm-hmm. Apparently, it's framed around Liz yes. talking about this. Yeah, I know. I know sh- that relationship, a main focus of that of that movie. I don't understand why there's just such an influx of Bundy right now. Yeah, it just. I mean, and everyone's kind of talking about that because the trailer's been out for a little while now, mm-hmm. and this has been dropped at the same time, both by Joe Berlinger. And then the Theodore documentary is coming out. The dude's Soon. like the dude's like Scrooge McDuck and Murder Money right now. 
So after they know who he is, figuring out what to do with him, where to take him, right? Because he's tied to all these different murders all over the place. They are also starting to suspect that he is the one who took Kim Leach. That's very different from these other women. She's a 12-year-old girl. But they want to try to indict him for it. And they can't until they find her. But I, I believe it was about a month and a half after she went missing, they did find her body. And so then they were able to also add that to the list of murders they suspected Bundy for. After that, we're starting to build up to the media circus that will likely happen in the last episode. But there's a part where they trick Bundy. Oh, yeah. The giving... uh they a sheriff comes in he's like ready to go for a ride and bunny's like this is different and then they walk him through this area and there's like doctors there and like a dental chair and he knows exactly what the fuck's going on Mm -hmm. now from what i've heard that bite records are maybe overdone like not always as accurate yes i think we know that now but if you look at the bite marks ted bundy's mouth is a little unique. Looks like the teeth that are between his canines and his buck teeth are kind of pulled back a little mm-hmm. bit. He does appear to have a pretty unique bite pattern. You know, I mean, if you have sort of an average mouth, it's hard to say definitively through a bite mark that it was 100% you. But if there's something specific about your mouth or the bite, it can lead you to know it's not or it like 99% is. Now, I guess we, I say maybe we know now. It's like, do we ever fucking learn? <laughs> Like the sheriff puts on a shiny suit and mm. his boots and kind of trots it out in front of the camera. The official charges all placed on Ted Bundy. But of course, Ted loves the camera. So he's going to fucking use this. We're going to lead into the last episode of this shit. Uh, what's this shit called? Uh, Conversations with the Killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. <laughs> We're going into the last episode now. Burn, Bundy, burn. This kind of boldness that uh, we see from time to time in this personality um, is probably just uh, being willing to take risks, or perhaps not even seeing risks, but just overcome by that boldness and desire to, to accomplish a particular thing. I think we can say that he, uh, he felt that almost as if he was immune uh, from detection, as if he were in a dimension that he just kind of like walked through doors had some supernatural powers. No matter how much he fucked up, nothing could go wrong. Burn, Blondie, Burn. The final episode. I'm going to say this up top. I actually thought the last episode was the best. Agreed. I like the way it was paced. Mm-hmm. The tensions they laid out in the leading up to the trial. And there was a lot more stuff that I had totally forgotten. And with the Carol Boone shit and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, and another thing, there's a bar in Boston that completely recreates the Cheers bar. Yeah. I'd like to go to that bar. Same. I think, I think we're going to go up there around Christmas time in that yeah. area. We've got to go see the Cheers bar. And imagine sitting with Norm and Cliff, all the guys, Frazier, getting sassed at by Carla, Woody. Lilith. Lilith, fan favorite. I love Lilith. I was watching an episode of Frasier and Lilith was on it. This is true. It was very random. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, man, Lilith was great. Yeah. Lilith was great. She wanted Frasier to have another kid, but just just for Frasier to donate the sperm. Oh. 
Oh my. I don't remember that episode, but that. Did you ever watch Frasier? I didn't I watch did it watch too Frasier much. I did watch Frasier some. Have you ever had tossed salad and scrambled eggs? No, sir. <laughs> that sounds gross to me. Like the combination. Scrambled eggs all over my face. Burn, Blondie, burn. Yeah, I think this is the best episode. Yeah, I agree. In general, I'm sort of intrigued by watching court footage anyway. Yeah, me too. I really like that. I have never been in a trial. Hi, why would I? But I've always really wanted to be a juror. Like, I'm, I'm very... I was very close. I was so jealous of you. Like, I think I told everybody in my life when you got jury duty, I was so jealous I wanted jury duty I so think, bad. I think they sensed my excitement and then, like, dismissed me. <laughs> I know. I would, I would have to play it so cool. The case was a dude challenging a drunk driving charge. Oh, really? And I really wanted to hear what he had to say. Sure. Jeez. But I didn't. But yeah, this one uh, starts off with the trial, pretty much, of the two ladies that he killed in the sorority house, in the Chi Omega house. Right. And they say pretty close to the beginning that at this point, it's the two women from the Chi Omega house and 36 other women that they believe that he has murdered. Yeah. He's a psychopath, therefore a liar. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, the number comes around to like thirty. That's his. That's his guess. Yeah, I I don't know. Like I think at the beginning maybe it's like suspected ones, but then yeah, he sort of says at the end thirty ish. He doesn't really seem to know, which is actually really upsetting. Yeah, fucking lose count of how many people you have murdered. And I kind of, I kind of believe him when he says. Oh, I that. do too. Because, oh, hundred. Because when you're nearing the end point, he he would want credit. If he remembered as much, you know. I think it just speaks to how little he cared. Yeah. It was the act of doing it and it was completely selfish. Some people will sort of become obsessed with their victims, you know, or each one will have a thing in particular. I think he did sometimes, but I'm sure there were times where he just like raged out and probably just can't even imagine their faces. Absolutely. Absolutely. Ted's representing himself. Well, yeah, because he has a defense lawyer and the defense lawyer... Tries to convince him to do a plea bargain. When he goes to say he's guilty to do the plea, he stands up and is like, my lawyer thinks I'm guilty, so he shouldn't be my lawyer. He gets a competency test, but Ted's really good at being looking competent because he's a psychopath. Mm -hmm. Now, it would actually help Ted overall if he just let his defense attorney steer the ship. But he's so fucking egomaniacal, such a control freak so values the way people perceive him in this courtroom Mm -hmm. that he has to take control of his entire trial. Even to the point, the judge kind of kisses his ass. It's weird, because at first I felt like the judge was not cutting him any slack, because when when Ted Bundy wanted a new lawyer, the judge was like, no, this lawyer's not leaving. No, you're not getting a new trial. Like, we're not pausing okay you can help defend yourself and i felt like at the beginning the judge was setting him up for failure like basically saying no you have to go with this person i don't care if you like him or not and sure crazy defend yourself i guess at the time society's not used to this dealing with this kind of personality out in the open this was a big circus of a trial and that we hadn't had in a very long time they said first cameras in a courtroom i believe to that extent at least before this, it's like the Lindbergh baby trial is probably the biggest thing. I'm not sure what was what came after that. What was that lady, that uh, that heiress that was captured by some 
militant group in the 60s, Patty Hearst. Patty Hearst. Uh, when oh. was Manson? Was he not? Oh, yeah. That'd be a big, that would be a big one, too. <laughs> but that was a lot of, I think Manson, though, was a lot of like drawings and stuff. I don't think there was a lot of cameras, maybe photographs. But this TV, was like TV. TV culture was exploding at this time. Ted fucking, he ends up getting a team of lawyers. I don't know how. I guess his, he's got some old girl he knew in college who's named carol boone who's now like infatuated with him yeah like she giggles at him and waves at him in the courtroom and shit yeah but she's not the only girl who's there because they're like infatuated with ted like they're interviewing (laughs) these girls (laughs) different people are interviewing them going well aren't you scared of him and it's like oh yeah i'm totally scared of him (laughs) and it's like well then why are you here i don't know i don't know (laughs) i just (laughs) and it's like the fuck? I get being like interested. I don't, I can never and will never understand being like romantically inclined towards a rapist murderer. If you're just like a Bonnie and Clyde situation and you're like, oh, I like a bad guy who's going to just fucking kill people. I almost get that. He's legitimately a man who is brutalizing women. He is raping and torturing and fucking dead women. Al Capone, I'd fuck him, but. But you know what I mean? It's kind of a different, I'm killing people to kill people or because I'm running from the law is completely different than what Ted Bundy was doing. He's specifically brutalizing women. It's not okay either way, whatever, who cares? It's just weirder to me. That's a bold stance. (laughs) I think you're very brave for coming out. I'm just telling you how I feel, Bob. I'm just telling you how I feel, okay? I thought he was kind of, uh, I was kind of attracted to him, but I think you've talked me down. You know, when they show, which they showed a few times and I absolutely loved it, they showed this like, it's like this poster of Ted Bundy, different mug shots and different photographs. And he looks like 20 different people, but who all could be played by young Greg Kinnear. There's he like looks act- exactly like Greg Kinnear. I wonder if there's like actor portfolios where they saw the Ted Bundy photo reels. Like, maybe I should model my headshots after that. He looks like an actor or model in some of those photos. And then other ones, he looks creepy and weird. The judge has handed Ted Bundy control of his courtroom the juries though to their credit they don't seem to be into it into oh, Ted's no. bullshit. it seems to me that the jury particularly loses ted loses the jury when ted is asking police that were that came upon the crime scene at the Kyle Omega house describe the crime scene over and over and over and it's legitimately disgusting yeah it's it's horrifying to the point where the defense is trying to object the law the judge is saying you cannot ask that question again and he thinks of a different way to word it like he specifically god at one point he specifically said what position were her arms in he is getting off on having someone else describe to him what he did in last two episodes actually i feel like there's way less ted bundy tapes like they play clips of him talking but it doesn't seem to be like the prevalent thing as it is more towards the beginning of this series. They do cut to him at that point, though, and again, he's in third person talking about how, well, you know, someone who did perpetrate crimes like that probably would take satisfaction in reliving those crimes. Like, it's so fucking disgusting. And you can tell the jury in that moment they were, is physically uncomfortable. Yeah, they're done. There is like a woman who I swear she was my favorite juror. It's like she was inching farther away from Bundy as he was talking and asking these questions. Like she couldn't go far, but you could just tell. Her body was like shifting to be far away from him. It was, well. Ted Bundy's defense attorney 
Bundy's not given a lot of like respect to successfully cross-examines a witness that claimed that they saw him sneaking around campus. His defense attorney successfully kind of picks her testimony apart. And then Bundy, because I guess his defense attorney started getting a lot of attention, being a good attorney for a moment, mm-hmm. he flips out and declares that he starts complaining about his defense to the judge after the defense did something that they're supposed to do. Oh, yeah, to where the guy walks out. Ted de- delays a, one of the days of the trial by shoving wet toilet paper in his cell lock. Yeah, that was so confusing. And the judge, like, scolds him like a child. But then by the end of it, he's like, I'd hate to not see you here. Like, this, he's almost talking to him like he's his rapscallion boys will be boys teenage fucking son or something. It's ridiculous. Well, the jury deliberates for six hours. Yeah. And he's found guilty and then convicted of the death penalty for the two murders at the Kyle Omega house. And the judge reads the statement saying that you're guilty and then talks about what a waste. You could have been a great lawyer. Yeah. And I, I just want you to know I don't hold anything against you. And if the bailiff could uh, come around here, unzip your pants, <laughs> pull out your penis so I could slide my lips and tongue up along it each way, I'll give good throat, Mr. Blundy, and... I just like you. He was speaking to him as though he were a disappointed father. To say I feel no animosity towards you, just like as another human, why don't you feel animosity towards someone who committed these crimes? It was weird to me. Ted also goes on trial for the murder of Kim Leach, Mm -hmm. who is the 12-year-old girl that he abducted and murdered. Yeah, and some people were upset that they were even putting him on trial because he'd already gotten the death penalty. One of the guys we hear from a lot in this last episode talks about how it was important that they at least try him again and get him convicted one more time for the death sentence so that at least one of those death sentences would stick because they knew he was going to fight and they wanted to make sure that he was going to get it. And closure for the Leach family. I don't know where they stood on it. Represents himself again. And he puts Carol Boone, his admirer, on the stand as a uh, character witness for him. And he proposes to her on the stand. This is at a fucking murder trial where a 12-year-old girl has been murdered Mm -hmm. and this motherfucker and this lady who, as far as I know, never killed anyone but just loves this killer, man. Yeah. Fuck her, too. Yeah. For life. Yeah. Absolutely. Fuck her, too, for life. She's, like, sitting on a stand at a trial of a 12-year-old murdered child and giggling because this man she loves is standing there in a fucking ridiculous big bow tie and powder blue suit. Like, he's at a fucking wedding. I mean, it's not a shock that a fucking psychopath doesn't care that he's at the trial for the murder of a 12-year-old. But Carol Boone, what's your fucking excuse? Are you a fucking psychopath, too? I thought a lot about the Herzog documentary that we did, Mm -hmm. where there was that woman who was in love with the man. Right. He wasn't in a life sentence. He was going to get out, but it was going to be decades and decades. Right. right yeah. And so... He pretty much was serving a life sentence. But, but, but we had this conversation then, like, I just... I can't understand the mindset of someone who would legitimately be in love. There's like the stupid young girls that we were just talking about who have these like stupid crushes on somebody because, oh, he's charming and I don't believe he ever would have killed anybody and it feels like dangerous. But then this is someone who legit is like, well, she doesn't believe he did the crimes. Is there some level of infamy to it? Because he's like internationally famous at this point. Well, yeah, and he wants her. So that makes her the most special girl in the world. I don't think she'd want his ass if he was free. No. I think there's something about that draw because he's contained. Mm-hmm. 
it seems like something that I don't know. There's a lot to be said of that. I'd love to find a documentary about people like that specifically. Yeah. I know that Errol Morris show he had. I forget the name of it. Yeah, he Interviewed a woman. Mm -hmm. That's a really good episode of that show. I mean, that's a really good series. But yeah, she's there and they're giggling. He's He gets another death sentence. He obviously doesn't win this trial. So I want to pass, go through time here. Sure, please. Ed is now, he's locked up on death row. The FBI and criminal profiling grows exponentially, mm-hmm. and they actually are able to utilize Ted. And Ted actually gives advice for cases regarding things like the Green River Killer mm-hmm. and prominent serial killer murders after this point. And they do learn a lot. I mean, there's no hard, fast rule for any serial killer. Every time you come up with an exact list, there's going to be something that contradicts it. Mm-hmm. But they're but they did manage to pull a lot of interesting insights out of it. And Stephen, the reporter guy and his colleague, you remember him? Yeah, he's no. like <laughs> what this whole thing is centered around. They were talking about how they were just fucking done with Bundy. They never really got a confession. Yeah, and the this this conversations with the killer, the Ted Bundy tapes. It's a book. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's actually a book, and it's been around for a long time. And you can like read that book, I guess, if you want. And but we move on beyond that. Oh, fucking Carol has a daughter with Ted. Yeah, Bundy. I was I was gonna go back to that if you didn't. But here's the weird thing about that is Rosa they show Blundy. a few. Yeah, they show a few photos of I like look her Carol. Out. She has like an older son, so it's basically like this family photo in the prison of Carol and Ted and Carol's older son, so like Ted's stepson and their little baby daughter. And from what I can tell, she was born really quickly after he was incarcerated. They got married and then she had the baby. It's weird though because they mention it and then by the time they're talking about him working with the FBI, there is zero other mention of Carol and this baby. So I don't know if at some point she was like, oh, I got to get out of here with this kid or if it was just... You know, not as important to this story in particular, but I was surprised there was even no mention of her when he was eventually in the electric chair. I, I don't know if it totally skipped my mind or if I just didn't know, but like I did not, I just straight up don't think I knew he had a daughter. Kind of doing a cursory glance, they seem to have a very private life at this point. Okay. As you can imagine. Probably better too. But uh, time passes and it gets close to Ted's execution day. Mm-hmm. And it gets delayed for various reasons. But he does decide to confess mm-hmm. when it comes After like close 10 years on death row. To as much as he can remember. And he actually says a lot of things that he uh, was not able to say other than in the third person. Like he confesses to being a necrophile and to cutting certain women's heads off. Mm-hmm. And we don't have all the names, unfortunately. We should have got them all. But you see more faces that haven't been discussed in the series in this big grid. And there's about... I'd say about eight to ten faces that are still unknown. Like yeah, are, and it just says Jane Doe. Are, I, and I have no doubt that there are definitely more than a few Jane Doe's out there who are victims of Ted Bundy, which is fucking unfortunate yeah. for their families and them. Oh, Do- James Dobson shows up. He's uh, that. He's that. Um, what's that? Who, who's a uh, his own special kind of piece of shit? evangelical trash garbage Pharisee sucking motherfucker. Mm-hmm. I hate this guy. He's like that focus on the family guy. Guy who touts himself as a great Christian. He's a big author, but he's like human trash who's in a position of power. If I believed in hell, I'd have a satisfaction to know that James Dobson would probably go to it, but I don't. So whatever. Anyway, yeah, I, <laughs> I fucking hate James Dobson. 
I hate that motherfucker. Yeah, so James Dobson does go and talk to him, like, the night before his execution. Also during this time... Oh, and, and when he's talking to James Dobson, he cries and blames it all on porn. Right. But there's this other guy from the FBI, the guy that he's been talking to and helping with these cases for the years. And that guy says that Ted looked at him and said, it wasn't porn. You know it wasn't porn. I was just telling him that. I did it because I wanted to do it. Like, he was just still playing. In that last moment, it was, like, important for him to get that attention and for him to get the empathy. He was just, it was bullshit tears. The approach execution day. It's like a frat party outside of the prison. I don't believe in the death penalty. It's something that I do feel strongly about. Right. I'm not going to shed fucking tears over the passing of fucking Ted Bundy. No. I understand why people want him to die. But I think this, all these dudes out getting drunk and loaded and you're just adding to the infamy that is Ted Bundy. Well, yeah. And someone actually made the comment that these guys were like 10 years old when this happened. Right. This didn't directly affect them. Now, a lot of them were from the school where the Chi Omega murders happened. And so I'm sure that's like a thing that's always been, you know, something that's been hanging in the air, you know, like this thing happened here and the man still hasn't been executed. But it was like an excuse to get drunk and act stupid. Attention is all Bundy's ever wanted. He, mm-hmm. Whether you hate him or love him, like he feeds off that bullshit. Mm-hmm. And like I said, you're just adding... To his ego, to his infamy. Look at that big crowd all out there just for old Ted. Are you a Rebecca or a Diane? Like, who would you lean towards? I think I'm a Rebecca. Yeah. Don't you? I get why Sam loves Diane, but I'm a Rebecca too. (laughs) Rebecca. Oh, no, wait. I thought you meant who do I personally identify with better. Oh. But also I'm a Rebecca. You know, for a Scientologist, she's not a bad actor. I forget that. I know. I love to remind people who Scientologist is not. No, it's like soul crushing when I find out somebody I think is cool but and I, Scientologist. But I'm team Rebecca. And I shouldn't compare them because they're two different personalities. Rebecca's a little more shallow. She pursues things. There's a, a goal that she wants. Diane's like kind of like a snob. But she's she's got a, a different ego in her own way. I don't think she's as... I think Diane would mask her shallowness by saying that like it's like... Uh, um refined or some bullshit yeah and i like rebecca because she's like not afraid to get her hands dirty and she's handling business like she, maybe she's shallow but she's getting shit done and like rebecca's better at showing that crazy side of mm-hmm. she's a more rounded human look no offense to diane fans out there boy that gang get cheers we love them huh <laughs> but finally that sick corpse fucker fraser crane gets executed scrambled eggs all over my face there's a picture of Blondie post-execution. I did not know that. Like after he died. I'm kind of surprised they didn't show it. They didn't go in a brutal angle. I'm of two minds about that. I understand the temptation to not go down that road. Mm -hmm. But I feel like, especially with a guy like Ted Bundy, excuse me, Blondie, that because he has this air of charm and he's known for being handsome and charming, Mm -hmm. that really getting into the details of the shit that he did It's a good way to offset that. And I said this before, the truth can be ugly. It can be exploitive sometimes. But but if it's true, it deserves to be told. And they do touch base on it, that he's a necrophile and that. Yeah, but they are very careful. And they're very careful about the photos that they show. Like, there's only one picture, I believe, that has a victim in the shot, but she's covered with a sheet. 
Yeah. And that's the one that he makes the man describe in detail on the stand because that's in the sorority house. But, I mean, there's not a lot of photos from the first murders because they found the ladies on that mountain. And they were just bones at that point. We saw a few of those. But there are some – the crime scene photos from the sorority house, they do explain later, you know, a little bit more about the Kim Leach trial. Some people who are fascinated with this stuff still – they still have a hard time with the details of it. But I agree with you. Even if you're not going to show the pictures, I do believe that there should have been more detail in what he did to them. Because unless you really understand the brutality of the crime, you don't truly understand how absolutely terrible he is. And this, like many other things, focuses more on the man than the women that he murdered. I get that. It's the Ted Bundy story. But at the same time, like, it's easy sometimes. And sometimes the exploitative nature of it, because there's not as much emphasis on the victims and what they went through, it's easier to sort of not think of them as real people. And then that's when it does become more sensationalized and an exciting story when really it's not. It's a fucking sad, tragic, awful story. Then you become like that judge who's like, I really kind of admire you. Yeah, it's like how you cannot separate the way he is when he's in front of a crowd of people with the person who is strangling and murdering a 12-year-old little girl. He is the same person. That actually made me feel sick to my stomach when that, literally when that judge said, I feel no animosity towards you. <laughs> because it's kind of like he's saying, you did all these terrible things and you deserve to die, Ted. But you know what? I really wish I could be your friend. Boys will be boys. Fucking piece of shit. I mean, the judge convicted him in good, but also just like, I don't know. I didn't understand where he was coming from. It's like he was playing some extreme good old boy attitude i don't know anyway whatever. well i think the judge admired ted for talking more than he needed to so i think he felt like he had to do the same thing maybe it's pretty much the end of this oh my now yeah. angelo we don't rate documentary series in star rating scales or our infamous herzog rating scale we sure don't documentary series we rate in errol morris's because this is a documentary series yes I'm going to give this one through five Errol Morrises. You're going to give this one through five Errol Morrises. Mm -hmm. We're going to put them together like a FBI criminal profile for best out of 10 Errol Morrises. I'm going to go first. What do I think of Joe Berlinger's conversations with a killer, the Ted Blundy tapes? Real quick, I thought it was pretty well edited. I like the tension and dramatic setup of the very last episode. Admittedly, I honestly was bored throughout some bits of this. Mm -hmm. I think if you're very new to true crime, this is probably a good entertaining thing for you to see. But I think we've watched a lot of it. And if we compare it all in the whole breadth of a lot of what we've absorbed, a lot of it just seems kind of typical. And I don't know if it's really that special. It's just kind of this thing just kind of at best has good timing. I think it could be a lot worse. I don't think it's a total piece of garbage. But like I said before, if you know everything about this case, this is nothing new. It's really just a repackaging of the Ted Bundy story for modern times. And that's really all it is. And you know if you're into that and you know if you're not. I mean, this is a true story and it can be fascinating in that, right? But it's up to you. If you're a big true crime junkie and you want to hear the story of Ted Bundy the thousandth time, you can probably watch this or listen to our podcast where we talk about <laughs> it because we're kind of guilty of doing that as well, I suppose, telling that story for the thousandth time. Thousandth. 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 Time. I give it 2.25. 
I agree with a lot of what you said. I do think it was edited well, but I didn't like some of their choices. Like, so maybe I don't think it was edited well. I mean, it was put together. I think they accomplished what they were trying to do. It wasn't clunky. But I really, I did not like the picture collages that they did. I felt like they used too many clips of just like tape or like the way they did the dates and times on like this moving piece of tape, I guess. I, it became very repetitive. I started to fall asleep at the end of the second episode because there were just parts that it just got a little boring. And like you said, there were things I definitely knew, but there were things I didn't know. And again, I think I just thought I knew it better because I've heard a lot of it so many times. So maybe I'm also guilty of like sort of not paying that close of attention because I've heard it. Yeah, because you've heard it before. So you kind of don't really listen that much when you hear like the fourth podcast go over it. It doesn't sink in maybe. If you're really versed in true crime, it's kind of just more of the same truly. Well, and it's sort of one of those things. It's sort of one of those things like when a movie's super popular and everybody tells you you're supposed to love it and you don't ever watch it. Like Ted Bundy is so prevalent that I felt like I probably knew all of it, but I've never actually looked into it. I've actually on purpose not read and rules book about him even though that's supposed to be like the definitive true crime book right is like her story of ted bundy which kind of like then she has this whole career the definitive true crime book well i mean the definitive but like like if you talk to people well yeah helter skelter it's sort well and rules like a big deal in the true crime or art of the deal what (laughs) art of the deal true crime book it's like a white collar true crime book oh i didn't know it's trump's fucking book oh i don't Anyway, yeah. we'll move on. You know, that's just one of those things that people I feel like expect me to have read maybe or know about. And so I guess I just haven't. Regardless. I don't know. I thought it was too long. I was pleasantly surprised by how many sort of interviews we had. Um, how many other people there were. I was worried when we first went into this that it was basically going to be Ted Bundy narrating this whole thing from these tapes. And it really was more of the people involved. I might have kind of preferred that. Maybe that would have been better. Just straight up hear the tapes. I would yeah. totally listen to all of that. Absolutely. Sure. I mean, Stephen is like, he's not confessing anything. It's And he's kind of sick of him. So maybe you'd get sick of hearing him too. Because you're basically feeding into what Bundy would want. I think it might make you angry after a while. Just the way he talks. Uh, yeah, you're right. You know, just infuriated. I mean, these guys talk about how they were just disgusted by him. And when they got to leave that prison for that final day, when they knew they didn't have to go back, they were like elated. But I think that's kind of my true crime fascinations. Like, I can listen to shit like that for a long time. I can listen to, like, watch courtroom footage and shit like that. I I really can do that. Yeah. Maybe longer than the average person can. I'm just very fascinated with that process. But this this has to entertain people because, like I said, repackaging of the Blondie case for a new century. I agree with that, too. I really love court footage. I really love interrogation footage. I could watch interrogation footage for hours um, just because I think it's fascinating when you're trying to, like, get those stories out of those people. But uh, the last episode was the best episode, and I feel like it actually raised my score up a little bit from where it was. I'm going to say it's straight down the middle. I'm going to give it a 2.5. Okay. Just right in the middle. I think that's fair. It was going to be a 2, but I feel like that last episode, it ended really strong. So When Bundy confessed, I wish I could see the look on Carol Boone's face. When Bundy's <laughs> official confession went out. Because, I mean, I think she probably hoped he figured he was guilty, but just put on this air. Like, she's drawn to him for that reason. Mm-hmm. But Or did she, like, freak out, like, I let this man 
this dude who murdered all these women and a 12 year old bust one up inside of me to make a baby. Yeah. Did she like freak the fuck out or is she just so fucking stupid that she just kind of, I think she just kind of like, la 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 la, straightforward. Agreed. His mom was like that too. I mean, when he finally confessed, his mom actually said like, I can't believe it. Like I have daughters. Like I can't imagine these people. It was like she completely 180 because when he said he did it, then she knew it was true. But until that very second, she didn't believe it. There's this real quick I want to talk about. I didn't raise him to be a corpse fucker. Real quick. When the guys were ready to put out the book, they went and they played some of the tapes for his mom, for Ted Bundy's mom. And they talked about how she got upset while she was listening. Like they said she started making like mousy noises or like chirpy noises. But then as soon as the tapes were over, they said, do you have any questions? She and her husband didn't say a word to stepdad. And then she stood up and she said, are we all for pie and ice cream? And I thought to myself in that moment, like, how comforting delusion must be. Yeah. You know, well, like to be able to just. It's you don't not, turn it's down real. apple pie. You're just crazy. You don't turn down apple pie and ice cream. I mean, it's no, of course they ate cream. the apple pie and ice cream. You know, she I'm just probably saying heated it, it up too. Shouldn't it was probably fresh from the fucking oven, but yeah, they made that ice like cream. flaky. Like homemade ice cream, rock salt and shit. But like, I don't deny the guys their ice cream and pie. I'm just saying it's weird that that was, it, she, it, she just turns it off because you can't look at it. Yeah. It's easy to forget life when you sit in front of a warm apple pie and a dollop of ice cream or a beer at your neighborhood pub where everybody knows your name. You take my 2.25. Combine it with your 2.5. That is 4.75 for Joe Berlinger's well-timed cash grab. Get the money. Conversations with a killer. The Ted Bundy tapes. I'll tell you what. If Ted Bundy came up on Carla, forget it, Bundy. Oh, no. Forget it. What is something that Norm would say? What would Norm say to close this out? He would say, afternoon, everybody, when he'd come in. Mm Mm-hmm. Go socks or something. He's got to go home and uh, what's his wife's name? Vera. Vera. Yes. Poor Vera. I know. I think Vera's in like one episode at his house. Maybe. Do, do we ever see Vera? Maybe we don't go to Norm's house. We go to Cliff's house and we meet his mom. We do meet his mother. And yes. she comes to the bar. Yeah. Yeah. I have a picture of what I think Vera looks like in my mind and I may have completely made it up. I think she's maybe like. He always insults her, but I assume she looks like. Fucking Heather Locklear, 1987. Really? Oh, I, I always mean, thought it'd just be funnier that way. You know? I mean, that would be really funny. I sort of picture her as like simple lady, maybe a little curvy with like her brown hair up in a bun. I think yeah. I just described myself, but like. <laughs> I think either way, she's like incre- an incredibly good person. Yes. Who's just being emotionally like stonewalled by a dude that's clever, but is very much an alcoholic. Yeah. Uh, cheers. Check it out, folks. Also on Netflix. All right, hon. Four point seven five for conversations with a killer, the Ned Blundy tapes. Bye, Joe. Get that money, Burlinger. Keep on docking. Test one two one two. What's that one that's purple? Purple. Pumpkins. I don't know. There's a thing that's like you do it to practice. You loosen up your mouth. Test. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salads and scrambled eggs. Oh, my. 
And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Frazier has left the building. 